morning, church. Um, This morning's reading is Revelation 1, verses 1 through 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Wes, thank you for doing our reading. And Monica, I'm not sure we're sitting, but thank you for that great song, and, and Josh, and and uh, Patrick on the piano, we, we added a couple new worship people. You might have noticed Patrick on the piano and Michelle on the bass. We're, we're glad to have them and welcome them as well. Will you pray with me as we ask the Lord to, to speak to us from his word? Lord Jesus, you are a self-revealing God. You have revealed yourself to us, and everything that we know about you is because you've chosen to reveal it. And though that we can't know everything about you. Lord, we want to know as much as we can about you. We want to know you as well as we can. We thank you that you have given us the book of Revelation so that we might know you better. We thank you that you have given us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher so we might know you better. We pray that through the word and through the Holy Spirit speaking through me that you might help us this morning to love you more, to know you better, to be drawn closer into your presence and into your life. We love you, Lord. And Lord, we pray for those who are away from us. Many live um, on the mainland now who've moved away. Some are going to school. Some are traveling. Some are deployed. Some are sick. And Lord, we, we lift up them to you. We lift them up to you, and we ask you to minister health and, Lord, joy and peace. And we pray, Lord, you'd protect them. And we ask, Lord, as they listen to this message online that you'd bless them. And Lord, we think of our missionaries as well that are around the world and also here in Hawaii that you'd minister to them. Speak to us now, Lord, we ask, and we pray all these things in the name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to speak a word and see what comes to mind. The apocalypse. If you're of my generation, maybe the first thing you think of is that uh, 1979 movie, Apocalypse Now, which is kind of a dark rendition of the Vietnam War, uh, starring Marlon Brando and many other famous stars. If you're younger than me, um, which is most of you, then maybe you think of the zombie apocalypse. And that's a genre of movies that depict reanimated corpses that are zombies that come over to destroy uh, human civilization and mankind. Well, I was curious how the word is defined in the dictionary, so I looked up online in the Oxford Dictionary, and it defines apocalypse this way. The first definition is the complete final destruction of the world. How pleasant. Today, we're starting a series on the apocalypse. Isn't that great? (laughs) But not a zombie invasion, not the complete destruction of mankind, but something that actually is wonderful and beautiful and hopeful for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Our English word apocalypse 
is the transliteration of the Greek word apokalypsis. And a transliteration is when instead of translating a word, you take the Greek letters and turn them into English letters. So if you don't know Greek, you can pronounce the word. So this word apokalypsis, we pronounce apocalypse. But the definition of the Greek word as a verb means to reveal or to uncover. When it's used as a noun, it's the word revelation. And it's that noun that is the first word in the first verse of the first chapter of the last book of the Bible that we call Revelation. It's the word apocalypse. Look with me at the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 1. It starts off this way in the English. It says, Revelation 1-1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the Greek, it just starts, the very first word is apocalypse. Revelation, the uncovering of Jesus Christ, which is an awesome, wonderful event for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've studied the book of Revelation before. I've been taught the book of Revelation, but usually the focus is some type of timeline or horrible beasts or horrible people or the evil that's going to happen. And yet the book is about Jesus. It was written to reveal Jesus Christ. So as we go through the book, we're going to focus on what the book focuses on, the revelation of Jesus, uncovering him. And when Jesus comes at the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, it's an event where Jesus is going to execute final judgment on the devil and on the followers of the devil, and he's going to destroy all the devil's works. He's going to remake the earth. He's going to remove the curse, and he's going to set up a literal physical kingdom on earth where he is the benevolent king ruling from the city of Jerusalem, and he's inviting you and me to co-reign with him. And he does that so he can fulfill the promises that he made to the first Jew, the father of the Jews, Abraham, when he said, Abraham, your descendants will have all this promised land. And he made a promise then to King David, the foremost Jewish king, that from David, there would always be an heir from the line of David to sit on the throne in Jerusalem forever. And that hasn't happened yet. And so we need a literal physical kingdom with Jesus Christ, who is the heir to David, to sit on a throne. It's a wonderful event, unless, of course, you reject Jesus Christ. Then it's not such a good time. The apocalypse is coming. Jesus Christ is going to be revealed. Notice what it says in verse 7 of chapter 1 about the apocalypse, the revealing of Christ. Quoting from a portion of the Old Testament, it says, Behold, he, referring to Jesus, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Even so, amen. And that word amen means so be it or truly This is true. The apocalypse is coming, and everyone will know when Jesus Christ arrives. And the Scripture is clear that when Jesus Christ arrives to set up his kingdom on earth, he's going to divide the world into two groups of people, those who love him and those who have rejected him. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, if you want to turn there, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about the apocalypse. And he has just finished talking about the great tribulation and all the difficulties that are going to happen during that time. 
And then in chapter 25, he talks about when the Son of Man comes, the apocalypse. We'll pick it up in verse 31. But when the Son of Man, that's Jesus, comes in his glory, that's the apocalypse, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is a throne on earth in Jerusalem. And all the nations, all the nations of the earth will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king, this is Jesus, the king of the world, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. The kingdom is the physical kingdom on earth that Jesus Christ is reigning as the king of, and he invites us to join him, to inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This has been God's plan from the beginning of the world for Christ to rule on an earth that has been made beautiful. But then, what about the others? Turn to verse 41. Then he, the king, Jesus, will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You and I get to choose our eternal destiny, but we have to choose it while we're living in this temporal life. Accept Jesus, you get the destiny that you reign with him. Reject Jesus, you get the destiny that you spend eternity with the devil and his angels. You get to choose. Now, in your bulletin, there's an outline. I'd encourage you to take it out. I have a number of things that we want to cover this morning, and I won't have time to keep repeating myself, so it's helpful if you have the outline and you can take notes. The first thing we want to talk about is the event itself, the apocalypse, the event. The apocalypse is the unveiling the unveiling or the revelation of Jesus Christ. The unveiling, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it will produce unimaginable terror. Unimaginable terror for the unbeliever. Notice back in Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 12. John is having a vision of the future. And during this time, this is what he sees. And I looked, and when he, Jesus, broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair. And the whole moon became like blood. And the, scar, the stars of the sky began to f- fall to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, so we're on earth, and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, that's the father, and from the wrath of the lamb, that's the son. For the great day of their wrath is come, who is able to stand? If you are an unbeliever, the revelation of Jesus Christ is to create great terror in your heart. But the same event will bring unimaginable joy for the believer. Unimaginable joy for the believer. Look at chapter 7, verse 9. 
7, 9 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and the palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four beasts. And they fell on their creatures, their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. For the believer, the apocalypse of Jesus is a joyful experience, a time to worship Him. And this event was talked about not just in the book of Revelation, but a number of places in the Old Testament the Jewish prophets prophesied about the apocalypse. We want to look at just one Old Testament passage in the book of Zechariah. To find Zechariah, if you go to Matthew and go two books to the left, you should end up in Zechariah. We want to start in chapter 12. Zechariah was a Jewish prophet. He's prophesying about the end times. And in Zechariah 12, verse 8, he writes this. In that day, when Jesus Christ is being revealed... The Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. One thing about the future that you'll see very consistently is Jerusalem is the center of the world. And Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. And the one who is feeble among them in that day of the apocalypse will be like David. They'll be as great as King David. And the house of David will be like God, probably referring to its strength. And the angel of the Lord before them, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it will come about in that day when Jesus is revealed that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of grace and of supplication. So they'll look on me, Jesus, whom they have pierced. Remember, this was written long before Jesus was even born, but it was prophesied that he would be pierced, referring to his crucifixion. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. One thing we will see in the book of Revelation is this period called the tribulation. And the main purpose of the tribulation is to get the Jewish people as a nation to repent of the rejection of Jesus. And as a nation, turn to Jesus as their Messiah. And they will repent that they have crucified him. And then he sets up his kingdom on earth. Notice chapter 14, verse 4. Chapter 14, verse 4 of Zechariah. And in that day at the apocalypse, his feet, the feet of Jesus, will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in in front of Jerusalem. He's coming right to the city of Jerusalem, the center of the world in the future. In front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. Verse 9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. It is an earthly kingdom. In that day, in his apocalypse, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. All Hail, King Jesus. 
It's the great unveiling. It's the apocalypse. It's the revelation of the Jewish Messiah coming to set up his kingdom on earth with the city of Jerusalem as the center of the earth. That's the event. Now let's talk about this book for a moment, the book of Revelation. Looking at your outline, we discover, number one, that it's the only prophetic book in the New Testament. The only prophetic book in the New Testament. Other New Testament books include portions of prophecy. But Revelation is the only book that's dedicated almost exclusively to the future. Look at Revelation chapter 1. Again, verses 1 and 2. It says in Revelation 1.1, it's the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, to Jesus, to show to his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Shortly take place. Those are future things. That's prophecy. Now, when we hear the word shortly, the way it's translated, we we think, oh, it it should happen soon. And it's been over 2,000 years. Well, it doesn't mean soon. It can also mean quickly. In other words, it means that when it starts, all the events are going to come one after another. Bing, 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 bing. Very quickly when it starts. And this book is about the future. Now, John is given an outline of what he's about to write in verse 19. And in verse 19, we have an outline of the book of Revelation. It's a three-part outline. It says in verse 19, Write, therefore, and here's the first thing, the things which you have seen. That's chapter 1. That's the past. And the things which are. That's the present. That's chapters 2 and 3. And the things which shall, shall take place after these things. That's the future. That's chapters 4 all the way to the end to chapter 22. So almost the entire book is future. Now, if you've ever tried to read through the book of Revelation, you've probably found it mysterious and confusing. And and someone told me it was scary. Her mom told her, don't read the book of Revelation. You'll be scared. You know, that's probably all true. And so you kind of wonder why there's all this symbolism and all this stuff. And and so you you might have never read it or you might have started it and, and not finished it or decided you're never going back to it again. For this reason... The second thing about this book, it's the most ignored book of the New Testament. It's the most ignored book of the New Testament. Now, I believe that the best way to understand the book of Revelation is to view it as describing literal future events and literal future people, but it uses symbolism to describe a lot of this, and and it describes people calling them beasts and having lots of heads and and horns and everything, and all this symbolism, and we kind of wonder why. Well, a diligent student of the Bible, did you catch the word diligent student of the Bible? (laughs) A diligent student of the Bible will discover that the symbols used in Revelation are largely defined in Revelation. And when they're not defined in Revelation, you can find them defined in other scriptures. In fact, one commentator says all the symbols are defined in the scripture. I'm not going to go that far and say all of them, but most of them certainly are. But why did John use symbols? Well, we don't know exactly, but could it be that trying to explain heavenly visions with earthly words was sort of impossible, so he uses symbolic language the best he could do. 
Or could it be because he's a first century man with very little modern technology, the technology we now have, maybe to describe those things, he didn't know how to describe them, so he uses symbolic language. Or it could be because John had been persecuted by the Roman government. Legend tells us that he was boiled in oil, but he survived. We do know that he was exiled to the island, the Greek island of Patmos, where he wrote the book. Could it be that since he's talking about the overthrow of the human government that he wrote in symbolism so that he wouldn't be further persecuted by the Roman government? That could be, it could be none of these, it could be all of these, it could be some of these. We don't really know. But we do know this. And listen, it's called the Revelation. It was written to reveal. It wasn't written to conceal. It wasn't written to confuse us. It was written to unveil to us King Jesus. So we would say, all hail King Jesus. And yet, a large segment of the church, in fact, the majority of the church and church history and even today, ignores this book. Why has the premier book of the Bible been so neglected by the church? Well, to answer that question, we have to very, very briefly, and hopefully in a thrilling manner, cover 2,000 years of church history. Okay, if your eyes glaze over, I'll try to wake you up when I'm done. But very briefly, for the first 300 years of the church, the church believed that Jesus would literally come to earth and set up a literal kingdom for a literal thousand years on earth as described in Revelation 20 and in the Old Testament. In fact, not to believe that was considered by some a heresy for the first 300 years of the church. But then in the fourth century, something significant happened. There was a major shift when the Roman emperor, Constantine, became a Christian. Now, whether he was truly born again or whether just in name he was a Christian, there's some debate. But he became a Christian, and in 318, he issued an edict that said you can no longer persecute Christians. He made Christianity legal in the Roman Empire. Then in 380 they made Christianity the state religion of the Roman Empire. So they wedded religion and the state, and the church became powerful and political. Well, during that same time, there was a theologian by the name of Augustine. Some people pronounce it Augustine in the 4th century. And Augustine who had believed in a literal interpretation of Revelation 20, that Jesus would set up his kingdom on earth, shifted his views. And he started interpreting Scripture from an allegorical view. And he started seeing the church as the recipient of the promises made to Israel, which were physical, and those promises became spiritual, and the church itself became the kingdom. Augustine is the most influential theologian in the history of the church, still influencing the church today. Well, he influenced the church, and for the next 
14 centuries, their church held on to his belief. Now, it's important to realize that the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, men like Martin Luther and John Calvin, were Catholics. They also interpreted prophecy allegorical. John Calvin's works are based on St. Augustine. So when the Protestant Reformation happened and the church broke from the Roman Catholic Church, some of the things they took with them was the allegorical method of interpreting prophecy. So you have the churches that came out of the Reformation, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, all the Reformed churches still interpret the Scriptures when, in terms of the prophecies, allegorically. So that includes the Roman Catholic Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, the Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church, the Reformed Churches. The majority of the church uses Augustine's allegorical method to interpret the prophecies. And keep in mind that 20% of your body, your Bible, is prophetic. 20%. Fortunately, in the last 300 years, there's been a shift by some to go back to the theological roots of the church. A movement to start interpreting the prophecy literally instead of allegorically. Some noted leaders of this were a Plymouth Brethren minister by the name of John Darby, who lived in the early 1800s. Following, there was the American theologian by the name of C.I. Schofield, who wrote the very first modern study Bible, the Schofield Reference Bible. And he lived in the mid-1800s, early 1900s. And that Bible greatly influenced the church back to a literal interpretation of the book of Revelation. And then there was Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer, who lived from 1871 to 1952. He decided to establish a seminary where they would teach the literal interpretation of the prophetic scriptures because it bothered him so much that the church was allegorizing the prophetic. And so Lewis Berry Chafer founded Dallas Theological Seminary, a seminary that disseminates a literal interpretation of the Scriptures. And Dallas Seminary has produced some well-known preachers and theologians of God's Word, men that you will recognize when I mention the names. Some of you might mention, recognize all of them. Chuck Swindoll, John Walvoord, Charles Ryrie, Dwight Pentecost, Tony Evans, David Jeremiah, Hal Lindsey, J. Vernon McGee, Andy Stanley, Ray Stedman, and Perry Alexander. <laughs> and not only Dallas Seminary, but then Chuck Smith, during the time of the Jesus movement, the 60s and 70s, he started the Calvary Chapel movement. And the Calvary Chapel movement taught the Scripture, and still does today, verse by verse, with a literal interpretation of prophecy. Just this last week, when my radio was on, the Calvary Chapel preacher was preaching, and he's preaching on the book of Revelation. I guess he heard I was going to do it, and he wanted to get ahead of me. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a literal interpretation of the Scriptures, Calvary Chapel. 
And then there's author, pastor, Tim LaHaye. He was my pastor in high school, college, and seminary and beyond. And Tim LaHaye co-authored a series of books called the Left Behind series. And though the books are fictional, they are based on understanding the book of Revelation as dealing with literal events. And so there's a segment of the church that's trying to take back the kingdom. I'd like you to join me as we take back the kingdom and we go through the book of Revelation, seeing it as describing literal, physical events that are going to take place. It's our future. And by the way, the founder of our denomination, A.B. Simpson, was a staunch supporter of the literal interpretation of prophetic literature and scripture, I mean. And he believed in the literal 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth as described in Revelation 20. And that is a tenet of our denomination. Listen, you cannot properly know who Jesus is without the book of Revelation. And I think that's why the devil has opposed it and suppressed the book so that as believers, we are afraid to even read it. And yet it's holy writ. You see, the Gospels present Jesus in his humiliation. Revelation presents Jesus in his exaltation. The Gospels present Jesus being rejected. The Revelation presents Jesus as reigning on the world and being accepted by the Jewish people as their Messiah. In the Gospels, we see the humanity of Jesus Christ displayed. He's weak. He's frail. He dies. In the book of Revelation, we see his full glory and deity displayed. His power, his might, his strength, his glory. And he rules. In the Gospels, Jesus subjected himself to human government. In the book of Revelation, Jesus subjects all human government to himself. In the Gospels, the devil is the king of this world. And that's why he offered to Jesus the kingdoms. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the king of the world. You see, Revelation is the conclusion of the whole Bible. It's the finale. It's the climax. Not to read the book of Revelation is like reading a whodunit mystery novel and not reading the ending to find out who done it. It's like having a wedding celebration and no marriage afterwards. It's like cooking Thanksgiving dinner and leaving it in the kitchen. It's like, well, you get the idea, okay? <laughs> And God knew we would ignore this book. And that's why he made a promise in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, for those who don't ignore it. It says in verse 3 of Revelation 1, Blessed is he who reads it and those who hear the words of the prophecy. Now keep in mind the reason he says he who reads it and those who hear it is that everybody didn't have their own copy, so one person read it and a bunch of people listened. He said, those who read it and hear it and heed it will be blessed. So here's the third thing we learned about the book of Revelation. It's the only book of the Bible with a blessing promise to those who read and heed it. 
the only book with a blessing promised to those who read and heed it. Come here to church the next, I don't know how many months it's going to take us to get through, and you'll be blessed. It's guaranteed. It's written there in writing. God wants to bless you by you coming to know Jesus Christ better. But you go, but it's so hard to understand. Couldn't have God given us a clue? Couldn't he give us help? Yes, he did. John 16, verse 13, Jesus gave us the greatest clue, the greatest help to understanding the book of Revelation. John 16, verse 13. Notice what Jesus says. This is his promise. In John 16, verse 13, Jesus says, but when he... The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes. He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you. And notice what it says. He will disclose to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us into the truth about what is to come, about the prophecy. So Jesus promises that you and I, as Spirit-filled Christians, can be taught by God himself, to understand the prophetic. That's amazing, yes. But can we trust Jesus? Go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. At the very beginning, it's established that we can trust what Jesus says. 1, 5. This letter is from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness. The faithful witness. He can be trusted. Looking at your notes, we've looked at the event, we've looked at the book, now we look at the person. Number one, Jesus is the faithful witness. We can trust him. To doubt the contents of the book of Revelation is to doubt the character of Christ. We saw in verse 1 that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word of can mean from or it can mean about. Which is it? Well, I think it's both. It's a revelation that came from Jesus, but it's a revelation that's also about Jesus, and Jesus gives testimony that what this revelation is, is true. We can trust him. How do I know we can trust him? Well, not only is he the faithful witness, he is the firstborn of the dead. Jesus predicted the future when he predicted his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And then he pulled it off. Well, you should believe someone like that. He's trustworthy. And Jesus has conquered death, and he shows us that there's something beyond death. There's a future. And that's the next thing in your outline, number two, under person. Jesus is victorious over death. He's victorious. I don't care what your high school biology teacher taught you or philosophy teacher or religion teacher. If they taught you there's nothing beyond death, there is, and Jesus proved it. There is more to come. And then it says, not only is the, he the faithful witness, not only is the firstborn of the dead, he rose from the dead, he conquered death, but he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. All hail King Jesus. Number three, Jesus is the, you can put the word king if you want of everyone. I put the word boss because Americans don't seem to like kings, you know. (laughs) He's the boss. 
You can't say to Jesus, you're not the boss of me. Yes, he is. <laughs> He's the boss of you and me. And that's the future, a perfect government ruled by a perfect person, the Lord Jesus Christ, centered in Jerusalem, on earth, a thousand-year kingdom on this earth with you reigning with him. And that's the apocalypse. So bring it on. And that's just the intro to the intro. We're just getting started. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, bring it on. Come, Lord Jesus. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here and you're not one of the sheep, you're one of the goats. You haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior. I, I beg you to open up your heart to Him. He loves you so much. He died to take away your sins. He rose from the grave. He proved that He conquered death. And He just asked you to cry out to Him and say, Lord, save me. And if you haven't done that, I urge you to do it today. Right now in this moment, cry out to Him. Lord Jesus, we love You. We worship You. We honor You. Continue to help us be excited about You and the future and reigning with You. It's in Your name, the name of the King of kings and Lord of lords, we pray. Amen and amen. Let's stand together and celebrate our Lord in song as we close today. To close our morning with um, the blessing in Numbers, chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on, on, upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen.